Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan, and with us today is co-host Bruce Whitaker. Welcome, Bruce. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. And our special guest today is Ben Baller. Ben is the executive director of Unity Earth, a global network building a worldwide movement for unity and peace. In 2006, he and his wife moved to Thailand to volunteer along the Thai-Burma border. In 2008, they founded the Blood Foundation together, an NGO focusing on education projects. In 2008, uh, Ben founded Monk for Month in Chiang Mai, uh, offering men and women the opportunity to experience the temple life and temple ordination. And in 2010, he launched Muslim for a Month uh, in Turkey to offering guests a first-hand experience of Turkish Islamic culture and Sufism uh, underneath the spirituality-inclusive banner of Rumi. A year later, he launched uh, World Weavers, offering spiritual immersion programs in Tibetan, India, Nepal, Cambodia, and Ethiopia. Uh, and so, like, yeah, and it goes on. You have so many different programs and uh, world, we world religions, the, the Parliament of World Religions. Ben launched OneGod.com, an online platform aimed at countering religious fundamentalism, relativism, and Western materialism. Since then, he has worked to build Unity Earth into a global platform that can support and empower many grassroots movements working towards unity and peace in the world. Welcome, Ben. So, Vijay and Bruce, it's great to be here with you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So why don't we start the conversation off by telling us a little bit about your life mission, how all these different projects come together, coalesce into a life mission, and the values that underpinning that, that you feel is your life's work. Yeah, thank you, Vijay. Firstly, it's great to see you again. It's been a long time uh, yeah, since yeah. we met uh, during the Monk for a Month program that we were running in Thailand. Yeah, look, you know, I grew up... Uh, just with a with a passion, I think, for spirituality and uh, and culture and the different kinds of uh, spiritual traditions that we have, and um, I think it's just something. Uh, I'm not sure if you choose the mission or the mission chooses you. Um, and definitely, uh, it's just felt like something that's been a part of my life as, for as long as I can remember. Um, I had some wonderful experiences as a kid in different uh, contexts out in the outback of Australia with the Aboriginal people as well as in Western China with the Tibetan uh, and, and the Chinese people. When 1985, I was out there with my family, uh, my, my father, mother, and one of my sisters. We stayed for three months living in a very remote part of um, Qinghai province. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a young 12-year-old from the suburbs of Canberra uh, in Australia, it was a real eye-opening experience. So, look, I think I've always had that, um, uh, you know, um, idea and uh, to really um, – present our unity, our common unity amongst our uh, uh, diversity. So that's been, I guess, the, the calling and the journey, VJ, that's taken us, uh, you know, across all those different spaces and places and um, has led to the emergence of Unity Earth. And Unity Earth is a project uh, and platform and initiative and organization. It's a 501c3 in the United States uh, and uh, here it's organization here in Australia and in other parts of the world, India, Africa, and uh that's really our main platform uh, these days. And at the moment, we're in the middle of uh, World Unity Week, which is from June 20 uh, through to June 27. So we're right in the middle of it. Uh, and it's great to be uh, here with you on the Truth to Power show. Thank you. Thank you. And it's so great because as a participant in uh, Monk for Month, as we mentioned, in both Thailand and India, I did 
Um, and I getting the chance to expose myself to different cultures, even though I had experience in Buddhism in the Western tradition, uh, going out to different countries and getting that cultural immersion, I think is the foundation. And do you believe that's the foundation for unity is really brotherhood and sisterhood to be able to experience the culture firsthand without judgment, but with curiosity. Yeah. And what do you think is the foundation for uh, forming, overcoming obstacles? And what are those obstacles that really prevent us from being brothers and sisters uh, across the world? Well, definitely. I think that the diversity of cultures is, uh, is, is part of the beauty of humanity. And it's also part of the challenge uh, because we have our own uh, way of doing things. We have our own preferences. We have our own beliefs. We have our own uh, values and understandings in that sense. And so sometimes the foreign viewpoint or the other viewpoint can be threatening. And we see that everywhere. Uh, you know, racially, we see it interculturally, we see it uh, between nations and between genders and, you know, in every kind of division. Um, so it's easy to say, you know, unity. It's easy to say we're one human family. Uh, but when you've actually got to drop your our own uh, cherished beliefs and our own cherished way of seeing things and our own deeply ingrained cultural perspectives, um, that can be a challenge. And that is a challenge. And we see it now with what's happening not just in America but around the world uh, with the, uh, you know, the racial injustice that's been surfaced and, and surfacing is that it's deeply, deeply ingrained. It's even to a certain degree unconscious for a lot of us that uh, subtle superiority of our race, our culture, our faith, our belief, our viewpoint, even, even our philosophy, you know, um, whether people are coming from a spiritual perspective or a humanism perspective or a, uh, any kind of um, mental construct, there is a tendency to believe that we're right. Uh, and the tendency to believe that we're right can be a real barrier to experiencing that brotherhood and sisterhood, VJ, that you talk about. And I think that ultimately, you know, the unity that we, we, we want and the unity that we, we, we aspire to, it, it already is. It's already a fundamental fact. It's a fundamental truth. It's a fundamental um, aspect of reality that we are brothers and sisters. And whether you're looking at that from a biological perspective or from a ecological perspective or from a theological perspective, uh, it's true. It's just true. Um, and yet the realization of that and the experience of that is hard work to challenge. We've got to be willing to put ourselves in each other's shoes. We've got to be willing to, to, to shut up and listen sometimes yeah and uh, that's not something we're always uh, willing to do it's interesting when you put in the bio about um onegod.com an online platform aimed at countering religious fundamentalism relativism and western materialism can you expand a little bit about uh on that segment like what you think is the the obstacle there i mean obviously religious fundamentalism i can understand but relativism and western materialism how does that act as like something you want to counter that you want to kind of, uh, how is that kind of a problem? Um, well, I'm just, I, I mean, I just, uh, just one second. I think that, you know, when we did onegod.com, it's a result uh, of this journey that we want, uh, we went around the world for, for many years and you were a part of that, BJ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely, but, yeah. So that was, that was um, uh, month for a month, which was in Thailand from 2009 to about, and it ran for many, many years and then on to, uh, 
monk for a month in uh, India and uh, Cambodia, uh, up in the Himalayas with the Tibetan tradition and many other places. And then we did the Muslim for a month program in Turkey, which is very powerful, and other um, programs around the world as well. And what happened was the more of these programs we did, the more amazing people we met and the more incredible uh, leaders and, uh, and, and amazing spiritual leaders we met. And so OneGod.com was really born out of a, uh, a desire to present that we are a part of one unified reality. We might have different take on it. We might have different names for it. Mm. We might have different uh, perspectives and constructs around it. But ultimately, it's important that we realize that we, whatever we think is happening, we are part of one unified reality by any name. Now, some people might you know, call that the universe or some people might call that Dharma or some people might call it God uh, or life or, or, or any sorts of other names, but that ultimate reality. And God is a symbol and, an, and a word, um, and it's an imperfect word, and it's a word that brings up a lot of baggage for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Not everyone's cool with the word God. You know, that's just part of the deal. But in terms of being able to come out there and say, whether you're Buddhist, Christian, pagan, Hindu, atheist, agnostic, whatever you might be, the recognition that we are part of one clearly universal reality, regardless of what we think it is, uh, seemed really important. And so OneGod.com was launched at the Parliament of World's Religions in, um, in uh, Salt Lake City in 2015. And we had writers and contributors and bloggers from all the traditions, uh, not just the major ones, but even some of the you know, the, 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 the ones that are more, more um, emerging. And uh, it was a very powerful way of uh, demonstrating, you know, based on the spiritual inclusiveness of Rumi or St. Francis. Mm. And I think, you know, I, I think a lot of the work that's been done, people like uh, philosophers like Ken Wilber, who have really studied the evolution of religion. I mean, it's very important that we know what we're talking about, what stage of evolution we're talking about. When we're talking about Islam, are we talking about ISIS or are we talking about Rumi? Mm. When we're talking about Catholicism, are we talking about the Spanish Inquisition or um, you know the, the scourge of pedophile priests or are we talking about St. Francis or Mother Teresa? Mm. There's, a, there's, a, there's a scale here. There's, a, there's a, um, a, um, a, a spectrum and it's very important to understand which end of the spectrum we're talking about. OneGod.com was around really bringing together those evolved perspectives, yeah. those evolved ways of looking at it that understands the universal nature of reality. Excellent, excellent. I, I want to ask a question as you've been doing this work, Ben. You know, so often I think our diversity has been weaponized by political forces, you know, people who are trying to build tribalism, who build their base, uh, fundamentalist-driven uh, governments and, and uh, religions that are very active in government. Um, and what, what is, how, does, how do we counter the, uh, the misuse of this sense of uh, religious passion and religious, religious affiliation? Well, I mean, how do we counter it, Bruce? I think through education. And one of the things, one of the things that's very, very powerful is, is um, funny now because the world just got shut down. But one of the things that's very important is travel, you know, and being able to go and experience other cultures. Now, we're going to have to figure out how to do that virtually better, in a better way. Uh, and there's lots of intercultural tools and education and 
you know, the power of this medium of Zoom and, and the virtual world, but to really be able to experience the other's perspective. Now, here's the rub, is that when someone's very, very firm in their fundamentalism, they don't want to go and experience the other perspective. They're the least likely to want to go and do it, and they're the ones that need it the most. Uh, and so that's the challenge that we have, is how do we, how do we really encourage people to open their minds um, and, to, and to learn that, that there's more going on than, than we realize and that we can still maintain our firm beliefs, we can still maintain our firm commitments, and yet we can expand our perspective. Um, by by um, listening to, experiencing, and opening up to the other, and not the other in a sort of a fear, fearful way, but the other as a celebration of diversity and the beauty. And I think, look at the at the heart of it, in my own personal belief, you know, the creator of the universe, which I believe there is, um, the 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 very blueprint of creation is colourful diversity. And all of the human family, all of the species of plants, all of the, you know, the marvels of the universe, diversity is a blueprint. So we shouldn't be afraid of differences. We shouldn't be perturbed by the fact that, you know, this group and that group and this, this particular um, um, spectrum of, of diverse viewpoints exists. We, should, we, we really ought to welcome it and embrace it and celebrate it and learn to expand our own viewpoints. We don't need to give up anything of value in order to grow and to learn and to expand our minds and hearts. So then this uh, effort is best conducted on a kind of one-by-one -one individual basis, or is there something where, uh, I'd like to talk about World Unity Day, of course, World Unity Week. Um, is there institutional action that progressive organizations can do uh, to address some of the political implications of, uh, of religious differences and how they're being exploited. Yeah. yeah, it's good to think about when you think about governments or, or institutions acting on behalf of many people, you know, whether or not, I mean, on, the, on one hand, we have individual citizens coming through and doing things, but do you work a little bit with the institutions that are behind the access to resources and all this kind of stuff, yeah. Well, I think, you know, there are there are institutions that want to maintain the status quo. Yeah. There are institutions whose vested interest is just to keep things as they are. Uh, and then there are other organizations and, you know, institutions in progress that are part of the part of the future. Um, you know, we're very fortunate to work closely with a, a marvelous organization called the United Religions Initiative, who are 20 years old this week. It's part of the uh, idea behind World Unity Week is to celebrate their 20th birthday. But the United Religions Initiative, they have a 1,000 community organizations around the world. They're in 150 different countries. But, you know, they're grassroots. They're grassroots. They're an affiliate at the United Nations, but they are doing uh, good work on the ground to promote religious uh, um, um, tolerance, to counter uh, religiously motivated violence. Um, other organizations like Religions for Peace, uh, which is a wonderful organization, and the Parliament of World's Religions, which is another amazing organization. Um, there's good things happening, but, of course, you never hear about it in the media. Yeah. You never hear about it on the news. Um, that's part of the challenge we've got is our media um, loves to, uh, and you can't blame the media because the media is just trying to, like, give us what we want as humans, right? But we're just more into the sensational and the shocking 
than we are the gradually kind of, you know, uh, grafting good work of millions and millions of people. I don't think we can rely on nation states to solve the problem. I think nation states can be a part of the solution, but I think civil society like this, this program, the Truth to Power show, is a good example. Uh, World Unity Week, uh, Bruce, you mentioned, we're in now, is convened of more than 100 partner organizations and initiatives that are civil society that have come together that didn't wait for the United Nations or didn't wait for any government to tell us it was okay to have World, World Unity Week. We just went out and, and, and declared it. So I think, you know, we have the power, we have the means um, and, you know, about getting organized and getting resourced to be, to be a part of the solution. And um, I think we can bring inst institutions along with us, but we can't be too reliant on them. It's not up to them. It's up to us. I definitely agree that individually the people have much more power than the institutions because ultimately then these nation states are answerable to their people. They're servants of the people. They're answerable to the people. And they have to be, you know, uh, kind of controlled by the people. Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, and look, that's that's part of the bigger conversation, I think, Vijay. And, and, and on your show, I'm sure you explore, you know, the role of the nation state uh, in our yeah. human evolution. And, you know, we created it back at Westphalia in Europe um, with, uh, you know, what happened uh, there in the, in, in, in the 19th, 18th, 19th century. And nation states, nothing wrong with the idea of nation states, but we, we've created them. But um, at some point, they are no longer completely serving our needs. Um, mm. When the United Nations was formed in 1945, the document, that, which we're also celebrating, Bruce, this week, the 75th anniversary of the signing yes. of, the UN, of the UN Charter, of the UN Charter, and that UN Charter starts, we, the peoples of the United Nations. And it was really a declaration to end war and to end violence and to end the kind of um, conflict that comes from um, totalitarian nationalistic viewpoints. But unfortunately, you know, the spirit of that document we've never lived up to. Uh, the United Nations is just a, not representing you, VJ. It's not representing me. It's not representing Bruce. It's representing nation, nation states. Mm. Um, and so we, the peoples, have kind of uh, been shoved aside by these things that we created called nation states. Uh, and we gotta, we got to get that back in, back in good order. And that's really urgent work. Yeah. Uh, we need to form a we, the peoples uh, of the planet, uh, that can address the, the planetary issues that we have, whether that's the environmental degradation, whether that's the refugee crisis, whether that's global financial challenges, uh, or whether that's war and conflict. Um, You've got you to say the United Nations has done a lot of good but it hasn't ended war. It hasn't actually fulfilled its purpose yet. So evolution is ongoing and we've got a ways to go. I was uh, working part of my career in the World Food Program in Rome. When you were in Western China, I was working in Rome with the World Food Program then. And okay. um, I was there for three years during the Ethiopia famine of the 80s. And um, it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it's administered as a sort of uh, feudal state of nation states. You know, the, the, uh, the staffing system was all predicated on the nationality of the staff. Um, the, uh, the various governing bodies were many congresses of nation states and so forth. That definitely was the building block. And 
uh, it enabled the United Nations to do what it did, but it also created massive impediments to its effectiveness um, through its various structures. So I, I understand that uh, and agree with the, the problem of the nation state, especially when a large number of them are not really functioning states or even functioning democracies. Um, that the, the voice of the people is uh, continuously being challenged. And we have, as in this country, we're really waking up to our roles of voter suppression and the ways that nation states are, are being manipulated by minorities or people in power to, uh, to impede progressive goals. Um, what, there's a work this week going on toward a kind of action plan to address this. Could you, Talk a little bit more about some of the activities of World Unity Week and, and how folks can be involved. And, and um, it's leading up to some further work in September, I understand. That's right, Bruce. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, this is an amazing week. We, we, we uh, just finished um, 48 hours of celebration and ceremony around the solstice. Um, on the 20th of June, we started with the Aboriginal, we had grandmothers from the Aboriginal cultures here in Australia and also the Maori culture of Aotearoa and the indigenous people of the Pacific, including Hawaii. And we began that and then went around the world. We had monks in Thailand chanting and uh, prayers from the Middle East. Um, amazing program in India on the banks of the Ganga up in Rishikesh. Um, and really it was an extraordinary opening ceremony uh, that went for you know more than, more than 24 hours. And that was building up towards what we've just experienced across the 21st, which was uh, not just the International Day of Yoga, it's the UN International Day of Yoga, but it's many other things besides, it's World Refugee Day uh, and so many programs. Uh, many people were celebrating uh, this weekend different, different things. And so World Unity Week was sort of throwing its arms around all of these different things, including building up to those um, celebratory moments I mentioned before, the birth of the URI and... Uh, the United Religions Initiative and the United Nations Charter itself. And we've got, you know, 100 co-convening organisations that have created programs and so diverse. Some of them are like the Earth Charter, which is also 20 years old this week and uh, is an extraordinary, it's the most vetted document in history. If you haven't heard of the Earth Charter, Google it, have a look at it. It is amazing. Uh, they're doing a program. We've got um, Black Lives Matter uh, activists doing programs. We've got... Um, more racial justice programs. We've got uh, a lot of spiritual uh, programs that are in there, but also social and environmental and the whole gamut. There's a women's issues and children's and youth and peace and justice. It's sort of a, it's sort of a container for all of this whole conversation. And uh, all these organisations that have come together have realised one thing, which is that, you know, whatever their particular passion is, whatever their particular mission is, they realise now that they can't do it on their own that we need to be able to come together and show up together as civil society and support each other uh, and to be a part of that whole fabric, that whole system of transformation. We do live in a transformational moment uh, on the evolution of this planet and a lot of people feel it. And I know a lot of your listeners will feel it. Um, and now is the time for us to really come together and to rise up and be the solution and not just wait for someone to fix it, not wait for government, not wait for big business, not wait for religious institution to be the solution. They can't do it. It's only us and all of us that can really you know, rise to meet that need and that challenge. So 
World Unity Week, uh, which is June 20 through to June 27, as you said, is um, building towards Peace Weekend, the International Day of Peace, September 21, which is 34 years old, 30-something years old. And um, it's, a, it's an incredible a UN institution. Um, but this idea of the International Day of Peace around September 21 uh, is something we've created a whole weekend around because this year, uh, September the 21st, is a Monday. So this Peace Weekend is Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, September 19 through to 21. And all the organizations that have come together for, for this World Unity Week are building towards Peace Weekend 2020. And that's really the culmination of many, many, many years of hard work towards the peace and unity movement globally being able to show up uh, on the world stage with a historic force in three months' time. Mm. So how can individuals be involved in World Unity Week now and uh, start to prepare for September? Wonderful. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. We can go to uh, worldunityweek.org or worldunityweek.com, register there. Uh, you can find us uh, on social media, Facebook uh, particularly, and uh, there's, there's programs happening all the time. There's conversations and uh, events and broadcasts and uh, open space programs. Uh, there's so much going on uh, around World Unity Week. We would invite everyone to come and connect and bring your passion. Come to the open space. It's um, going to be Monday, the 22nd of June at, uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern time and again at 7 p.m. Eastern time and then the following day on Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, Eastern Daylight Time and then again 7 p.m. There's open space where anybody can come. Uh, all you got to do is go to the website, register and uh, you'll get the link and you can come and bring your, your area of interest and uh, you can host a session. Now, the question we're asking everybody uh, is what do we need to mobilize a world unity movement? What do we need to mobilize a world unity movement? That's the question. And, uh, you know, the good news is there's already a lot going on. There's a lot of organizations and groups uh, and individuals and platforms and initiatives that are, that are super focused uh, on rising together and being a part of that. There seems to be in this country uh, a, re a renewed faith in uh, popular in popular activity. Um, Black Lives Matter, uh, the last few weeks here in this country and in terms of uh, people actually rising up and demanding change and, 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 all, and, and getting it in some ways quite quickly. It's a long, long road to kind of reforms we're looking at in police and justice. But uh, things are happening that have been held off for years. Um, and is this do you sense this as something that's a, a national phenomenon? We know there were a lot of Black Lives Matter protests in other countries, but is the civil society um, trending upward or is there uh, activity moving upward in this way? Or, or is this a way to sort of do a turnaround of civil society, which many people have felt has been rather endangered lately given the, uh, a lot of social and cultural trends? Well, I think, you know, definitely there's cause for hope um, and um, and there's there's also cause for optim cautious optimism. Um, and I think that we have to be optimistic. If we don't have hope, if we don't have belief, if we don't have a sense that this is possible, then, you know, that's the greatest driver of, of um, apathy and inaction is um, 
a sense of despair. So, you know, hope and belief is, is critical. And yet, you know, you've got to be realistic. The scale of the challenges we face are enormous. They're enormous. Um, you know, I got the opportunity to be in Greenland um, or a couple of years ago, 2018. And uh, we went there as part of a trip with some of the indigenous people of Greenland. And, uh, you know, to go and see the, the, the polar ice caps melting there and the scale of how quickly it's melted and um, this way of life that's disappearing for those people uh, and the water that's just running out into the, into the ocean um, because of climate change. And I had, a, I had my own moment of despair. And, um, you know, I'm a born optimist. I've always thought we'll figure it out. Human beings will sort this out. We'll figure it out. We're, we have enough creativity and enough goodwill that we're going to make it. But i got to say that being there in Greenland was a real shock to me because for the first time I realized just how screwed we are mm-hmm. and, and, and how hard it is to get anyone's attention, <laughs> let alone change behavior. So, you know, the scale, Bruce and VJ, is the scale of the challenges we face is a lot of people have given up hope. A lot of very informed, uh, clever, well-researched people have said we're, we're, we're doomed. But, you know, I don't believe that. And I think that it's important that while we've got to hold space for the idea of just how serious the problem is of, you know, we're talking about the ecological degradation of, of our planet. Um, just how serious that is, the plastics that's clogging the oceans. I mean, that's choking the wildlife, the, the, the um, pollution and, and climate change that's destroyed the, the Great Barrier Reef here in Australia. And it can go on and on and on and on and on. But somehow, somewhere, we've got to believe in ourselves and we've got to believe in each other. And there is hope. There is hope. Um, and the hope is that we collectively rise and that we collectively um, support each other and empower each other to be the change we want to see in the world. Now, everyone's going to have different viewpoints and different passions, and that's fine. We don't have to agree on everything, uh, but we do need to agree that we are in it together and that we need each other, and we need to ra- rapidly and radically transform our world in the next few months. Yeah, I think definitely the it seems that apathy and ignorance seems to be the the number one way in which we stop caring, we stop activating we stop uh participating in the global narrative that we're just too we feel like our voice doesn't count or that excuse or that kind of apathetic ignorance of the power of the people and the power of them to make their voice heard and to be heard and that we're all kind of in this chorus that is really trying to um amplify themselves so that then they can have that glow that ripple effect into that larger ponds and larger forces but when we think about world peace and world unity what would that really even look like and how would that be like a borderless world or would we start to dismantle these borders and start to think military should you know de-emphasize like when we think about defund the police and funding you know uh social services on a on a country level we should be funding helping helping people to build themselves up rather than destroying villages and towns, you know? Well, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, we have some good models, VJ. Um, you look at the creation of the United States of America. Um, it wasn't always the United States of America, was it? Uh, you know, Texas and California, all these states uh, had their own kind of way of doing things and their own military and their own budgets and their own governments and their own 
laws and, and then they got together and, and they didn't get rid of the borders, but they transcended the borders and they became a unified whole. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with nation states. Nation states are fine. It's okay for Australia to be Australia and taxes and roads and schools and it's okay for Canada to be Canada and China to be China. That's fine. But the problem is when they act as if they have like complete sovereignty to do whatever the hell they like without any regard of the total whole. And so nation states are fine. They just need to be put in their place. Yeah. Uh, And put in their place means to accept that you can't have sovereignty as a country when we're really ultimately the reality is we're one unified planet. Mm. So I, I do believe that nation states will continue to serve a role. I believe they continue to serve a function. Um, and what's got to emerge fast is this uh, tr- supranational um, way of uh, of um, of demo- democratic government. Now, what's really interesting is there's a lot of fear, particularly in America, about a one-world government. It's like a terrible thing. People are frightened. They're going to come and the one-world government's going to take away everybody's rights, and somehow it's going to be an enemy of the people. And I guess you know there's there's a there's a there's a possibility that a one-world government could be tyrannical. A one-world government could be di- a dictatorship that is not good for humanity and not good for the planet. But that's not what we're talking about. Mm. And and I just really want to make it clear: there's a distinction. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something which is um, governed by reason and wisdom, and is democratic, where People do have a common voice, and there has to be something at a transnational level that can deal with the global-sized challenges we face. You can't solve global-sized problems without global-sized solution, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so I don't see America disappearing. I don't see Brazil disappearing or Argentina or Chile or Ethiopia. They have their role to play. But it's it's really what's got to emerge is something that's, actually works at a global level. And the UN, you know, bless the United Nations and all their agencies, they do a lot of good work, but they haven't, as yet, that hasn't really filled that role. So what's next? We need a worldwide movement for unity and peace. And that's really coming from we the people. So it's back to that original spirit of the document of the United Nations Charter. This is not a new idea. This is not some radical new thing. This is, you know, government of the people, by the people, for the people but not just for the 350 million people in America, but for the 8 billion people of planet Earth. Uh, ben, given some of the challenges of international efforts like the EU, which has gone through a tumultuous five-year period of major members withdrawn, their internal challenges, um, even here in this country of holding ourselves together, there's talk here of sometimes of a civil war uh, situation emerging. Do you see successful models in a particular field along the lines that you're describing of an international organization operating demographic democratically to solve problems, whether it's a, a collection of states or a collection of organizations. Is there a, an existing model that you would say that, that we could look to to see what uh, example of what you mean? Well, I think that there's no roadmap, Bruce, for where we're going. Um, you know, we've never been here before. And, you know, we can't look to something that's happened and say, well, that's exactly what we need to do. Um, We need to be 
uh, innovative and creative. And yet at the same time, there are things that are working. There are, you know, UN agencies and global organizations, imperfect as they may be, that have managed to be representing um, interests above and beyond just the nation states, uh, that have been able to uh, operate at a global level. But we need to empower them. We need to support them. We need to uh, fund them and really go all in with that, which we haven't done. And, you know, in certain circumstances, people are pulling back from that. And you see that, uh, you know, with some of what's happening in the United States, what's happening in Europe, the whole Brexit phenomena. So we've got to lean into unity. We've got to lean into we're all in this together. We've got to just go all the way. We can't we can't um, be half in and half out of this. We've got to be fully committed. So I think that, you know, there are things that, 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 that are models, and yet at the same time, um, this is a completely new moment in history. Uh, we've never had the, the, the critical convergences of multiple crises um, that we're facing right now. Um, and so, you know, I think that underneath it all is a belief in the, in, the, in the invincibility of the human spirit. And we have to believe in ourselves. We have to believe in each other. And we have to empower the good, the true, the beautiful, the just, the righteousness, everywhere we find it. So I think that there is, I think what, what I take optimism from, Bruce, and your question there is things can change rapidly. And I could give you some examples. Even what might seem like trivial examples, you look at organic food. 30 years ago, nobody was into organic food. Now it's like on every corner, on every street corner, right? There's an organic mm. grocer. Mm. Um, things like gay, gay marriage, you know, many, many people um, were very strongly in religious institutions and others uh, were, were so strongly opposed to that for so, so long. It never looked like it was going to change. But now almost all over the world, many, many parts of the world now, that's become the accepted norm of equality, um, marriage equality. I'm using that just as examples of how quickly things can change. Yeah. Well, and so we've seen here with Black Lives Matter and some of the removal of Confederate monuments, the renaming of institutions and the, the attempt to, um, uh, I don't wanna say, uh, to, to really place racism and slavery in our history in a proper context, rather than to glorify, falsely glorify villains of the past. Yeah. Uh, we've, that's a change that's happening even as we speak that many of us thought would, would never happen. Um, and so, yes, I, the, I, I think that's the other kind of example um, is the, the new asymmetry that individuals can exhibit, such as Greta Thornburg, Thornburg uh, where there are, the world has the capacity to create a space for a singular voice. And the leadership that a single individual can play outside of the nation state structure is, is something that's very, very new and is, a, a, I think, a special advantage of our time um, and, and could lead to some of the directions that you're describing. That's right. And as well as, you know, I mean, I, I also take, uh, um, I put a lot of faith, uh, Bruce, in business. Uh, and the power of, of, of these big businesses and institutions, there's a lot of movement in there for uh, business as a force for good. You know, there are, there are um, uh, pioneers like Richard Branson and many others that really see that um, it's not just greed and, 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 and making money now. 
but it's using business as being part of the solution. Uh, using the profit motive, nothing wrong with the profit motive uh, when it's in service to something higher than itself, right? And so using that as part of the solution to business, civil society, the international organizations, the nation states themselves, if we all came together to really work as a team and work as a, uh, you know, to really paddle in the same direction, absolutely, we have to do it. That's either that or, or we perish. Well, there are some very good models of that, of corporate, state, and NGO partnerships throughout the world that have helped, particularly in Africa, model I'm thinking of is uh, telephonic uh, telecommunications companies partnering with the government to uh, donate cell phones, and the government pays for the construction of a cell phone infrastructure so that the company is building a market for a business, but at the same time, making it possible for everybody at every economic level to participate in that phone system. And um, there have been some very striking examples of corporations using their capital, in some ways their communications platforms, which can be very powerful, to work with governments and NGOs in achieving very targeted, carefully designed development initiatives uh, on a project basis. So you're right, there's a there's hope for that. And again, that's something you never really hear that much about. Um, and, and so those, those can be very, very powerful when you look at the scale that a, a major corporation can bring to something. That's right, Bruce. Yeah, go on, BJ. Yeah, I was going to say that um, as far as uh, philosophies and philosophers go, you mentioned Rumi as being a major influence on this, this kind of something that people should read and people should be aware of. So what are some other writers or writings or, or maybe going a little deeper into Rumi about how um, that people should really be exposed to some keystones in human development you feel philosophically or spiritually that this, this should be something a must read or must expose yourself? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Great question. Great question. So there's a, there's a, a book from, uh, he's actually a, a mentor of mine uh, called, his name is Dr. Kurt Johnson. And he's written a book called The Coming Into Spiritual Age. And The Coming Into Spiritual Age is a, is a classic, um, very, very important book, optimistic, realistic, um, and really talking about, you know, coming from the, the different wisdom traditions, coming together to be a part of the solution in this into spiritual age. And what I love about that term into spiritual is it goes beyond traditional interfaith. Because interfaith was... Okay, I believe X, Y, and Z. I'm going to tell you all about it. You believe A, B, C. You're going to tell me all about it. That's nice. That's dialogue. That's important. Yeah. But into spiritual goes to the next level. Uh, and that's really a shared experience. VJ, it's like what we did in Thailand with the month for month program where we actually immersed ourselves into Buddhism. We weren't just thinking about Buddhism or learning about Buddhism. We were experiencing Thai Buddhism from the inside. Mm, and that's the essence yeah. of, of interfaith. That's what we need. We need the experience of unity, not just talking about it, not just thinking about it, not just contemplating it. We need to experience it now. So that's a really good book. Ken Wilber, the integral philosopher, most you know, he's, I think he's the world's most translated philosopher. Uh, yeah, very intellectual. That's one for people. Um, and, you know, uh, so, so, so much else that's going on. I'd encourage people, you know, if they're touched or moved or wanting to connect in any way, come to unity.earth. 
come and, you know, unity.earth, reach out to us at unity.earth and let's find ways to connect. Let's find ways to come together and support. Here's what my greatest hope is, Bruce and BJ, is that I believe that everyone's God-given passion, everyone's God-given, you know, mission and calling is, is in people's hearts. And it's really what we need to do is simply say yes to what our calling, like what you're doing here on this show. Somewhere you had the idea, you had the inspiration, you followed through, you've created the truth, the power show. That's an example of saying yes and showing up. And if if enough of us did that, as enough of us do that, that's really the transformation of the planet that we need to, that we need to see. Exactly what it looks like, what the models are, Bruce, what the mechanics of it are, is so emergent, it's almost impossible to know. But I think if we, as we say yes to our missions and our visions and our purpose, uh, then that is the solution that we're looking for in the world. That's very inspiring, Ben. Thank you. It, thank it's you, it's you. easy, uh, especially you know. I'm, uh, I'm this isn't the first rodeo I've been through. You know, <laughs> it's easy to sort of go, oh boy, we've got to do that again. We've got to do that again. It didn't work last time. It only went so far last time. Um, but I think one of the things that's very special about our era that we should take faith in is that, as you said, true social change has happened at such a fast rate on so many fronts. Women in the workforce, um, a societal objective of racial justice and an acknowledgement of racial injustice, which is all, all of these are imperfect and they're incompletely executed. And there are crimes and pain still being inflicted but there is a group effort to demand change, which when you talk to activists from the 50s and 60s, that's what drove James Baldwin out of the country, that the the country was not acknowledging a need for change. And so uh, I think there is ground for optimism just in that kind of yearning and the kind of questions we're all asking ourselves. So thank you for giving us a way of activating on. So in regards, yeah, thank you. I was going to say, in regards to your different programs, the you had many different cultural immersion programs, not just in Tibet and um, India, uh, Tibet, in Tibet and India, but in Thailand, but also in uh, Ethiopia and uh, Turkey. Tell us a little bit about those programs and and how successful they were. Also in India, you had the train, I believe, uh, that goes to many different cultures. Tell us about yeah. the success successfulness of them and how people have come out of them giving any kind yeah. of comments or feedback or t- testimonies. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the program in India was the mystic express. Um, yeah. it wasn't, a, our program wasn't an actual train, although there is a train that does that uh-huh. in India yeah. Yeah, the program, just a uh, sampling of the different spiritual traditions of India, which is incredible. Um, Ethiopia was a real, uh, extraordinary experience for me, uh, to, to, to go in and to learn about the tradition of Haile Selassie and the Orthodox Ethiopian church and the Rastafarian movement, which, you know, uh, reveres Haile Selassie. And we got to go down to Shashimani, which is kind of like the global headquarters of, uh, of the, of the, uh, Rastafarian community and, the program in India, I mean, just the vastness of spiritual in India, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing how vast it is. Yeah. So that, that's when I realized, Bruce and Vijay, the old saying, you know, the old saying that the more we learn, the more we realize how little we know. Yeah. 
you know, I, I've heard that for years and I never really liked it, you know, like most young, brash people, I thought I knew mo- uh, everything I needed to know. But, you know, the, 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 the depth of realisation of how true that is, of, of the more we learn, the more we realise how little we know, um, it is infinite. And so, you know, just that urge to adventure, the urge to explore, to get outside of our own silos, to get outside of our own little bubbles of our cultural worldview perspective, whether it's religious, whether it's ideological or political, whatever it is. But you know what? We're so caught up in our own conceit so often. We're just so sure about our little bubbles being right. And yet there's an entire universe of perspectives out there for us to explore. So these programs are a great part of my own personal journey, BJ. And we, a lot of people went and did them. You know, Muslim for a month, I want to say this in Turkey, uh, one of the most profound things. And this is at the height of, you know, the Islamophobia. And we took Jews and Christians and agnostics and atheists and different people and gave them, uh, you know, this firsthand experience. And that's, that's the key. Yeah. is that the secondhand experience is everywhere. Secondhand knowledge is everywhere. Thirdhand, through the media, we're forming our beliefs and our opinions through through someone else's views. So the opportunity to go and to have this firsthand direct experience, what is Islam? Well, what's Turkish Islam? Which Islam are we talking about, right? So this was Anatolian Islam, Turkish Islam. And to go and live with Turkish families and stay in a Sufi lodge and go down to the mosque and learn how to pray and fast and and break bread with, uh, with with Turkish families, and then to go to to Konya, which is the mausoleum of Rumi, where Rumi's entombed. Amazing place, amazing. Tra- transformed me and my understanding of the world. So the power of putting ourselves in another's shoes is very much the spirit of, of what we need. And that takes a little bit of humility and uh, a spirit of adventure. Mm, very interesting. Yeah, I think that. Uh, just returning to, as we close up, uh, some of the experiences that you had in your life that um, were really the foundation for this. You mentioned a little bit in the beginning, but I just want to return to that, that uh, gave you the guidance to empower these communities and push you towards this path or the, why the path chose you and uh, some of the ways in which people can uh, continue to replicate these kinds of uh uh, life missions, if they're if this their so calling, if they want to do, uh, they want to start these kinds of entrepreneur entrepreneurship. So I think that um, you know that's really important. Uh, it's a big community out there. It's a big community of of people that are doing this work, and it's an inspired community. It really is awesome people. Uh, it's not it's not the case that anyone's got the solutions. It's not the case that anyone's got all this figured out. We're figuring it out together. Exactly. Um, and, and so it's it's really, you know, coming together in community, Bruce and VJ. It's doing what you guys are doing here with this show. It's being connected to the other amazing work that's going on around the place. Is so much happening. It is inspiring and uplifting and motivating uh, to really connect to it, VJ. So we'd encourage people to reach out, you know, um, uh, to unity.earth, to World Unity Week, to connect with us. Just come along, dive in. Uh, you'll find your tribe. Uh, and then also, you know, come to the open space sessions this week and you can even talk about what you're doing, what you're interested in, what your perspective is. Um, the old model is you've got the, what is it, the, the, the sages up on the stage and, you know, thousands of people watching them. That's not what we need anymore. We really need circles. So there's talking circles and people coming together and every voice matters and 
um, there's a new there's a new wind blowing and a fresh wind blowing and uh you know lord knows we need it thank you thank you so yeah bruce you wanna well i just want to again we're talking to ben bowler and uh he has many projects going on but the peak project right now is world unity week which you can access online and i uh share your encouragement ben for everyone who is uh questing at the moment to find a channel for their quest to take a look at uh at this experience, and um, and I we we will look back on this. I think as actually the possibly the turn return of hope, um, because everything is finally breaking up. Um, I come most recently from the world of theater, and there's an enormous and very important exploration of racism in theater going on right now in this country. And I think the activists very wisely chose a moment where we are shut down. The theatrical sector here is shut down for profit and nonprofit and for long, long term. We're taking this moment to examine the, the issues of race and prejudice and racism and equity in the way theater does business, the way theater treats its artists, the way it treats its staff. And that's an example of, I think, this impulse you're talking about, Ben, of the openness of our current period, that we have to seize this opportunity because it's a it's a once in many generations moment. I think we'll look back and say this is where many, many things started to happen. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Bruce. I think you're right. You know, like the the, the old the old uh, chestnut that the 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 Chinese character for crisis is the same character for opportunity. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Listening to Radio Fair Brooklyn, uh, independent listener supported radio. Uh, this is the Truth to Power show. Thank you for listening. Um, if you listen to RFB when you're on the, uh, not in front of your computer, please consider downloading the free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available on the App Store for uh, iPhone or Google Play Store for Android. Um, I know you have to go in a few minutes, but uh, we'll just make a few quick announcements if you have to leave. Um, friends, COVID-19 is disrupting everyone's lives right now, and Radio for Brooklyn is no exception. Once you know that we have made every effort to ensure the health and well-being of our staff, hosts, and community at large, we've closed both our studios and canceled live events, but our hosts are still doing our best to contribute, uh, bringing new original programming to broadcasting live, pre-recording from their home studios, or selecting the best pre-records from past shows. With most of our revenue stream evaporated, we need your help. We realize many of you are hurting too, but if you can afford a small donation, we can get a long way to helping us uh, stay on air. You can go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate or RFB Give 5, text RFB Give 5 to 44321. It only takes a minute and uh, you'll be able to use your digital wallet. Finally, if you use Amazon, go to amazon.com smile and register ready for Brooklyn as your charity of choice. Thanks, Ben. So any last words before you go? And then we'll play a song out for the people to listen to. Uh, if you want to, if you have any favorite songs or feel that uh, maybe speaks to, I was thinking of Imagine by John Lennon is a good classic. Sure, yeah, always yeah. a good one. That was a good one. So if you have any final words of wisdom, and then we'll let you go to uh, your next program on World Unity Week. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, final thoughts are, you know, let's um, let's take the opportunity while we've got it, while there's still breath in our lungs and blood in our veins to course them through it, while we still have life, uh, there's hope. Uh, and let's use this, as Bruce said, let's, let's, let's enter this transformational moment. Let's do whatever it takes. Uh, as I said before, no one's got it figured out. We need everyone on board here 
Uh, we need their ideas and, and your passion and your uh, connections and your uh, your energy. Uh, so it's something that's, that's going to take all of us showing up together. Uh, let's do it. Why not? What's the alternative? Let's thank make the you, most of it. Let's give it a go. Right, BJ? Definitely, thank definitely. You. Thank, thank you for thank having you so me. Much. Thank you so much. Thank so you, this- Ben. Lovely meeting you and have a wonderful week. Have thank you so time. much, Bruce. Thank you so much. And BJ, if you can send me this link, I'll, I'll, we'll play this during the week. That'll thank be great. We'll do. We'll do. Thank you. All right. All the best. Thanks, Bruce. All nice best. to meet you. Cheers. You. Good luck now. Cheers. See you, brother. Thanks. Treat the power. Cheers Let's power. do it. Thank you. <laughs> this has been the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijar Nathan, and co-host Bruce Whitaker. Um, we air every Monday at 8 a.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn a- a website and through the apps on iPhone and Android. So please listen in every Monday at 8 a.m. And check out our archives at readyforbrooklyn.org slash to power. Please donate to Ready for Brooklyn when you can and if you can. Now I'll be listening to Imagine by John Lennon. Thank you. Ready for Brooklyn? Thank you for listening in.